Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I am Dave. Alright, we're back. I guess it's only been a week this time, but yeah. it's been a tough week for me anyway, so it's, it's felt really long again. But anyway, um, we're back in here. We're going to be talking about transhumanism. So you saw the uh, event again, transhumanism continued. So it seems like this is we're going to be on this train for a little bit, um, and then the next couple weeks we'll kind of... Uh, Go back, but I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna say that the next couple episodes you're probably gonna see a lot of connections being built into this issue. So it's yeah, uh, we'll, the next few shows are gonna be awesome. Yeah, we're really looking forward to that. Uh, just want to give a brief preview. Uh, we will have Travis Horenic in here actually next week, where we'll take just a bit of a segue from this topic, but we'll jump back to it on the 13th with Nathan Stitt, where we talk about some demographical research. And then we do just want to alert you that we do have the agreement for a debate in mm-hmm. September, a debate in August, and uh, we will be on the Missouri State campus debating here in uh, the first week of October. Yes. And we'll tell you more about those things, but uh, just keep looking out. But let's go ahead and jump right into Jason. So, yeah. so uh, we, as we talk about transhumanism, last week uh, we talked about the statement that came from the ERLC um, on tra- or it was a uh, artificial intelligence, yes, a statement of evangelical principles. So, yes, yeah. and so we've got a guy that's involved in all this. And so, how you doing? Doing really well. Thank you guys for having me. It's, uh, oh, fun to be with you. We are excited about it, man. Uh, so let's just jump right into it, Jason. Uh, we've never met. Uh, I just met you through uh, Andrew Walker. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, my name is Jason Packer. I serve as an associate research fellow as well as the creative director at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. We are the public policy arm of the Southern Baptist Convention and focus on a lot of the moral and ethical issues of the day uh, that are affecting the church and helping the church to think about these things wisely and uh, based in the scriptures, and then also to apply the gospel to all of life. Well, yeah, uh, so let's jump right into the issue, if that's okay, Jason, because yeah. I think so, this is pretty exciting. Go for yeah, it. Yeah. So yeah, last week we did uh, go through the statement uh, pretty much uh, article by article um, and read it, kind of commented on it and stuff like that. So, But one thing that we didn't get to, even though well, we read the preamble and commented on that, but from a person from, from you being a part of this, um, why? Um, what started this whole... Um, statement and why was it written and all that kind of stuff. So what what are the uh, preconditions, I guess, of this statement? Yeah, and I think for that, it would be really helpful to kind of understand a little bit of my background. Okay. Um, I come to this from an ethical and theological standpoint, not as a technologist. I grew up surrounded by technology. My dad worked for a Fortune 500 tech company uh, for about 25 years when I was growing up. So I've been around technology my entire life, a lot of cutting edge technology because of the company he was involved with. 
And coming into, after I graduated seminary and was doing a lot more reading and writing and researching, I started really focusing on artificial intelligence, picking up a lot of secular books. There are not as many books uh, by members uh, of the faith community, specifically Christianity, kind of engaging this topic. And as I picked up more and more of these books um, and started listening to a lot of lectures and just kind of educating myself on the issue, I noticed that there was kind of a lack. Um, and what I mean by a lack, it was a lack of moral clarity, a lack of understanding about who we are uh, as human beings, how we relate to God, how we relate to the world around us. And so it was actually about uh, April of last year. I've been writing on this for about two or three years now, just finished up my first book on artificial intelligence uh, called The Age of AI that'll be coming out next March with Zondervan. Um, but last April, uh, there was a huge issue, kind of big debacle, is like what I like to call it, uh, that happened around Google. A lot of folks may or may not be familiar with what happened, but essentially in April, of April, May of last year, uh, there was a protest letter signed by a number of Google employees, including a number of top senior engineers at the company. Ended up being about a little over 8,000 employees signed it. Um, and this protest letter was protesting the company's involvement in developing a specific piece of AI technology um, in a co uh, collaboration with the Department of Defense for the United States government. And when this all went down, uh, Google actually kind of famously pulled out of the contract and said they didn't want to be involved in any type of military application of AI because they don't want to be in the business of war. But about a week after that happened, um, about a week or two, the CEO, Sundar Pichai of Google, uh, posted on the Google AI blog seven guiding principles uh, for the company uh, in terms of development of AI. And as I was reading that, it really struck me, again, about that lack of moral clarity, a lack of a what I call a transcendent truth, the truth that comes down to us that tells us how to view the world and who we are. Rather, it's, it's a kind of a cultural understanding of what current, uh, currently is popular um, in society. And so a lot of what was in this statement was just kind of current mood surrounding AI. And I just knew that there was a lack there. And so to catch up to the statement, about that time, I sent the state, those principles to our president, Dr. Russell Moore, and we had a really good dialogue about those. And I pitched a project and said, hey, what if we put together an evangelical statement of principles on artificial intelligence? There really hasn't been anything done like this before. And um, our goal would be to help provide kind of moral clarity and understanding about who God is, who we are as human beings, and how we relate to technology, and then specifically some applications of AI. And I just uh, want to put something in there. Um, last week we did talk about that. As Christians, we've been really too reactionary. So we wait till things blow up um, to a certain level, and then we react. And so uh, what you said there, though, is I just sort of uh, affirm what we uh, said last week, that this is an offensive statement. We are trying to... Um, get to something as, say, evangelicals um, before stuff hits the fan, I guess you could yeah. say. So you're wanting to put and this that, out there, get it out there before we start seeing a lot more because there is that idea of singularity. There is that idea of this um, 
progressing but by exponentially every couple of years that they're seeing that trend and so we're hitting it now instead of later is that exactly the goal of the statement was to be proactive and engaging the subject as you said because christians specifically evangelicals historically or at least over the last hundred years or so have been very behind on social issues and so the church um, reaffirms what it means to be made in the image of god and the idea of sexuality in many ways, post the Obergefell Supreme Court decision legalizing same-sex marriage in the United States. Same is true with abortion. When the Roe versus Wade abortion law was, um, when that was going before the Supreme Court, what in, many evangelicals were either apathetic or maybe even supportive of uh, Roe v. Wade. And so that idea of having to, now we're reaffirming the dignity of all human beings from the womb all the way um, until natural death. And what's happening is, is we're having to play response and play yeah. catch up and be defensive rather than pro- projecting a truth. So not only do we want to equip the church to be proactive, but we also know that Christians have a very unique um, gift that we can give to the world and what it means to be created in the image of God. That idea of human dignity for all people is a very specific Christian truth, a Christian part of our, our Christian heritage and truth. Um, so that idea of being created in the image of God, having infinite value and worth, not because of our usefulness, not because of what we can contribute to society, but mm-hmm. solely based in the image of God. Yeah. And that's one of the things, you know, as, as I told you before we were, recording uh, just about a month ago is when my mind, I think I got an email from you all that you were getting ready to release a statement and it tipped me off right away and I was like, man, I need to know a little bit about this. So, you know, my vocabulary has expanded to things like gamification, uh, subdermal, RFID chip, brain machine interface, nootropic supplements like transhumanism. Those were words that I had no clue even existed until I got your statement. So I I do think that there's been a massive awareness already, at least in my life, because of what you've done with this statement. Um, Let's go ahead and jump a little bit to the statement as uh, uh, kind of directly. Um, you, You lay it out slightly differently than some of the other statements that I've seen, like the Nashville statement, like the Chicago statement of biblical inerrancy. What was the guiding principle uh, as you kind of laid this out, were you trying to reach a specific point? And why did you address, you know, I know this is somewhat a complex statement, but why did you address some of the topics that you address, such as work, such as bias, such as human uh, AI responsibility? Yeah, and so I think that'll help. Uh, we can kind of inform that question by looking at the whole structure. I mean, you guys worked through this last week. Yeah. But the first, th- we have the preamble just kind of giving an idea of why we're doing this. The first three articles really address kind of some of the fundamental misunderstandings in our society and our culture and often even within the church about what it means to be creating the image of God, what it means, what is technology and how we are to use it, as well as uh, kind of our relationship between artificial intelligence and humanity. Then from then on, we break down and go through a lot of specific issues. Um, we intentionally designed the statement to be a statement of principles and not application. Gotcha. And what I mean by that is that we're not addressing specific applications of AI, but more so kind of overriding principles or uh, issues, kind of moral and ethical issues that we see that are going to be more long term. The goal of the statement wasn't to be, as we said earlier, short term and reactionary, but more proactive and long lasting. And so we, ho- I hope this outlives me. 
in many ways. Um, we intentionally, when we were design, designing and drafting, I was telling our drafting committee members, we don't want this document to be outdated in 10 years yeah. um, at the rapid change and pace of technology. Yeah. So what we did in many ways was just reaffirm Christian orthodoxy, yeah. uh, just specifically in light of artificial intelligence, but specific to why we did certain issues there. A lot of these are issues that are kind of prevalent today, mm-hmm. but that we see on the forefront. So medicine, medical AI, and uh, the applications there, there's untold benefit of using AI and, te- and medical technology. But one of the fundamental um, lies that uh, our society, in many ways, the church at times believed, is that we can reduce people down to uh, just sheer bits of data or reduce them down to their economic utility rather than um, that human dignity for all of being created in the image of God. So with medicine, uh, that happens with bias uh, and sexuality. Work is an issue that um, you see kind of headlines. You see two type of headlines with AI as of late. You see articles about how the robots are going to take all of our jobs and we're all going to be homeless and poor. Or you also see about how the killer robots are going to come and enslave us all and make us their pets, or they're just going to kill us all because there's no use for us anymore. Yeah, right. So those are your two kind of prevalent views. But there is some real-world impact of AI, specifically uh, economically and on work. And what we wanted to do with the statement is to provide some moral clarity, not just what is AI going to do, because we can't predict that. But what we can do is reaffirm why we work. We don't work because we just need to pay the bills. That's important. But we work because it's part of being created in the image of God. It's part of how we were made and how we are to live pre-fall. Yeah. We were commanded, Adam and Eve were given the mandate to, uh, that cultural mandate in Genesis one twenty six through 28, to take dominion over all of creation and to reflect God as they reigned and ruled and cared for creation. And you see that they were given jobs to do in the garden, and then the fall happened. So often we think of the old nine to five, or I just, you know, got to put my nose to the grindstone. I've just got to bust it out. I, I just want to get home. I want to, you know, I'm living for the weekend, or I can't wait for that vacation because that's where I truly live. But as Christians, our understanding of work is not just something that we have to do. It's something that we're created to. Yeah. So, want to kind of jump to some of the immediate impacts like as you formulated this statement as a committee worked and funneled things and ideas through and began to kind of cut things down i know that they had some hopes for an immediate impact and then of course that long range impact share with me a little bit about your hopes for what you hoped uh what you had desired to achieve immediately and even kind of what you're seeing as a response right out of the gate. Yeah, so there's, it's twofold um, on the kind of immediate response, and we're seeing this. It's uh, to God's glory uh, that this is happening, and we're just really excited and encouraged by how he's using the statement. Um, one, we wanted to speak to the church to say, hey, church, we need to be up to date. We need to understand generally. You don't have to be an AI expert. You don't have to have a computer science degree. I don't have one. You to engage this issue is because this issue isn't something that's five or 10 or 15, 20 years down the road. You know, this idea of the singularity that could be 20 or 200 or never. We don't really know 
some of those future kind of artificial general intelligence or super intelligence, AI is having an impact right now from driverless cars and the impact on the transportation industry to the to automation, um, to job loss and job retraining, to expanding job opportunities. There are a ton of um, issues surrounding artificial intelligence that are impacting us right now. And so the goal was, is we need to be thinking about these things. So that's part of it. And the other part that we were hoping is just this, uh, when you look at a lot of the statements of on artificial intelligence or principles, ethical AI is actually a really popular topic. Uh, there are entire courses and even degree programs being designed about how do we create or how do we develop ethical AI or what should ethical AI look like? And there's all these different ethical systems. We wanted to speak Christian truth into that conversation and not in a defensive, angry kind of way, like we're going to force our way into the table is to say, no, hey, we have a coherent, transcendent worldview here Mm -hmm. um, that is, and you see through all of the statements, it's all tied together. This is what it means to be a Christian. So when we engage these issues, we want to kind of earn a seat at the table to be part of these discussions as they're happening and help shape them. And we are seeing that in many ways. I've, one of the most encouraging things that I've seen um, is the num- sheer number of folks engaging with the statement that are not believers. <laughs> uh, they're engaging the statement and saying, I don't agree with them on, you know, two or three or five or a lot of their, the things they point out here. And there's a couple articles that are, pretty self-explanatory on why the watching world and culture wouldn't agree with it. Um, But they're saying there's something about this that's hopeful, that Mm. seems clear. And so I've had a number of uh, even ethical professors within AI and robotics, but even outside of that and just general business ethics classes reach out or professors to say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to have my students read this. Nice. I'm going to have my students. We're going to talk about this. I, I had there's a Christian university at uh, Baylor University in Waco. Uh, they're true at McCon or true at Seminary. I talked to a class just a few weeks ago, and it's a business. It's a business and theology class, and we were talking about kind of the impact of AI, and we're talking about ethical AI, and specifically economics and work. And those type of issues. So the hope is we're, we would just spur some conversation, not just mm-hmm. within the church, but even outside the church. Yeah. And we're, do, we're seeing that by God's, by God's grace. Yeah. Amen. That's awesome. I Preach the gospel yes. at all times, including words, like printed <laughs> words. So that's amazing. <laughs> so like, let's compare this to a few other statements uh, that many people are familiar with. You know, obviously, two years ago, the Nashville statement dropped. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chicago Statement of Biblical Inerrancy in 1978 came out. Uh, these are some, what I would say, are comparative statements. Um, what makes this statement different than those, besides the fact that it's not reactive? Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. Well, and this is a specific kind of social issue. Now, the Nashville Statement um, was focused on sexuality and the nature of gender and how God created us in his image as man and woman. It was it was a specific issue, but it wasn't it was in many ways you have a lot of different sexuality issues kind of all coming out with the Obergefell same sex marriage decision before the Supreme Court. You have uh, LBGT 
rights and legislation and bias and you have the Equality Act um, being revived uh, in Congress. There's a lot of things surrounding uh, sexuality. And so the, when the national statement comes out, it brings very clear understanding of being made in the image of God and what that looks like for our sexuality. And so you kind of that was it was part of a cultural movement, a cultural conversation uh, that was already in many ways happening. And then you, with the Chicago statement, that's in many ways for the church. Yeah, um, it's it's specifically designed to reaffirm what it means uh, that we believe in an infallible and inerrant word of God. So, as what separates this artificial intelligence statement, one is that we're speaking not specifically just to the church, but kind of to the watching world, yes. and we're doing it as people are having these questions. So. The reason we say it's proactive is not just because we just pick some random issue that we think will affect us down the road. This is starting to become more of a conversation. So when you mention AI, most people think of killer robots, job t- job killers. They think of Amazon Alexa or they think of Siri. And I won't say their names because they'll probably wake up in my room right now and start talking to me. <laughs> Uh, because they are always listening, yeah. but you have these devices. So it's kind of a, it's a topic that a lot of people are thinking about. There's a lot of fear around artificial intelligence and yes. what it is and what it can do. But then I think there's also kind of a lot of apathy. And what I mean by that is this kind of laughable attitude, like towards AI, what it can't do. So you think of um, just this past Super Bowl, i I'm not a huge NFL fan. I'm more of a college football fan. Go balls, even though we're terrible. <laughs> um, but as you watch the NFL and you watch these um, these commercials, a good chunk of those commercials were actually about robots and artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. And that was really striking to me. I wrote a piece for the Gospel Coalition about why robots creep us out. And most of those commercials, you have like the Michelob Super Bowl ad commercial where you have this robot athlete who is outperforming humans in every single task that it can do, not only in athletics, but in work and all of this. And there was fear or you have the robo baby where you have this robot baby that wakes you up in the middle of the night, just like my 11 month old does sometimes. <laughs> and, you know, wants a bottle and it, how kind of annoying they are. You have the Pringles commercial where you have this little um robot assistant kind of ai assistant talking and it starts pontificating about all these things about the world and then they say hey whatever play this music and it shuts up and they start laughing about it so there's kind of like this trite nature um of kind of we know this is happening we're kind of there's a lot of fear but there's also just kind of a does it really matter Mm. and so that's why we wanted to write this statement in the way we did that wasn't reactionary it was full of hope it was level-headed it was hopefully um based in the scriptures and uh full of wisdom because the whole overriding principle of my work um, but specifically with the statement was heeding to jesus's call in matthew 22 verses 37 through 39 where he says the greatest commandment is to love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself that is the greatest commandment. That is the sum of the law. So if we were to boil down what it means to live as a believer and live as a Christian in this world, to love God and love our neighbor. Man, so amen. how do we do that with artificial intelligence? Because it is a tool that God has given us. And there are very, very good 
and God glorifying applications of it. And that doesn't mean just evangelism and chatbots. <laughs> yeah. It, it specifically is there are good applications of this technology in medical and in um, rooting out bias and discrimination and security and war and all of these different areas. And so our goal and hope was to write moral framework and clarity to, hey, here are the good applications and here are the things that are not applications, but good uses. And these are the areas that we need to be thinking about or concerned about. Um, and often really counteracting a lot of the lies uh, that our society tells us about who we are, what we're actually creating, what we're not. There's just a lot of confusion. And Christianity, I believe, has the most coherent uh, worldview in engaging this. Only coherent worldview in my exactly. mind. Uh, I'm sure you know that too. Uh, let me kind of jump real quick to just, uh, it wasn't directly on our list, but it's one of these things that kind of gets with me. I, I'm a pastor. That's what I do. I'm a full-time pastor. Uh, and I'm pastor of a small rural church, you know. Um, but there's a lot of guys like me. The majority of pastors uh, that are Southern Baptist are like me. What would you see the application and even maybe the way a pastor could take the statement, communicate it to the individuals in his church? And, you know, the average age of people in my church is probably around 35 to 40, right? So uh, what do I do with it? What is your goal for a, a pastor like me to take this? If, if all I, if you know, obviously we have a, an apologetics podcast, but besides that, let's just say that, you know, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pastor and, you know, I'm a gravel road Baptist church and I, I see the statement, like, what can I do to make it useful to the families in my church, the older people in my church? Like, what can I do and, and maybe even how should I address it? to those yeah. folks? That's a fantastic question. It's something we've been asked a lot, um, which is really encouraging to me that you have pastors and ministry leaders who are wanting to address this. Or So we've been asked, should I preach a sermon series on artificial intelligence? That's kind of your prerogative. Um, I don't think that you probably have enough material to do an entire series on AI. <laughs> what you could do and what I think is really helpful, I think, first is reading the statement and sharing the statement. Those are very, very simple things is to one, for you to personally read it, maybe share that with your staff um, to talk about these things. Because the issue is, is, as I said earlier, this isn't some far off phenomenon. This is affecting our communities and our people right now. Yeah. So what we can do is prepare ourselves by reading it, being aware of it. And then maybe even as you go through it, um, I'm more of a walk through the scriptures line by line, kind of chapter by chapter kind of guy. As you get to these uh, points where it talks about the value of every human being, maybe you, you address that. Maybe you say, hey, in light of a lot of emerging technologies, there is a lot of questions and a lot of uh, fear and a lot of um, lies being communicated about what it means to be made in the image of God in light of advanced AI or uh, machines or automation. And this is how we as Christians address that. So kind of inserting that into kind of common everyday language, um, as you said before we were recording, there were a lot of words and vocabulary that you weren't aware of. Yeah. And so you read the statement and kind of wanted to dig in. So I think that's a great first step mm -hmm. is just being aware of it. Um, and maybe even sharing, you could share the statement or we're hoping to put together some other, uh, some further resources and articles, share those with small group leaders or your elders or your deacons, uh, share that with leaders in the church or 
I've, I've written a few things and in my book, I have an entire chapter on the family. Mm. So specifically talking, saying, Hey parents, this is how, you know, my wife and I are navigating this. This is how we're, what we're thinking about. Um, and having those types of resources to put in our people's hands to be aware of it and not let the culture drive the conversation. What I mean by that is so many people in our church are already working in fields that are not only being affected, but they might actually be creating this technology. Yeah. And they might not feel comfortable because they're like, no one cares about AI. They just think it's a whole bunch of robots and, you know, war machines and things like that to say, hey, you know, so-and-so in our church is actually, he, this, he works on this stuff every day. And I think it'd be helpful to do a Q&A with him or, um, hey, she's developing, she's using these technologies these day in the medical field. Hey, let's talk about that. Let's have a small group or let's have a, you know, an apologetics kind of night and talk about these things. You don't have to address it all at once and then be done with it. It's really incorporating this into a lot of our everyday conversation not as the most pressing issue, but to say, hey, this is driving a lot of cultural conversation uh, that we're already having. Well, let me jump real quick because you've used a word a few times, and it is a term that I did not know anything about, had never even heard before I read the uh, artificial intelligence statement. Uh, by the way, how do you uh, shorten it? Because I've called it the AI statement. Uh, the evangelical statement of AI principles, like, uh, how do you term that? I typically say the AI statement. The AI statement. Um, or, but that's also internal because everyone knows that the evangelical statement of principles on AI, mm -hmm. it is kind of a longer name. But typically, uh, we're called the Christian AI statement, <laughs> even though it's specifically evangelical and doesn't represent all of Christianity. Um there are just so few documents that the church has on this issue. So it kind of has become the AI statement on uh, AI statement by Christians and different things like that. So. so the term that you've been using is singularity. Mm. Now I, again, had never heard of that, had no concept of that, but when, you know, I want to make sure, man, I love the hopefulness of it because that is just breathes, breathes a breath of fresh air into my life when we deal with things like this, especially when you listen to all kinds of secularist humanists discuss the topic and they begin, I mean, it seems like everyone I listen to goes back to singularity. What is yeah. singularity and, and even how from a Christian worldview should we understand this? And yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's helpful to define a couple terms before you get to singularity okay. and that is artificial intelligence, or it's also called narrow AI, and uh, narrow because it's a specific use, meaning when you create a, an AI that's, that is used to power your Amazon Alexa device, yes. um, that, that Alexa device can't go drive a car. It can't learn, um, you know, it can't learn a well, it might actually be able to learn a new language, uh, but you can't take that and go put it into a factory or it's not going to be able to. It's a very narrow, specific application. And that's how it's designed. And that's all it'll be able to do unless you redesign it or reprogram it. That's narrow AI. So it has a specific use. That's the only AI we have. Um, that is the pr prevailing kind of understanding and purpose of AI right now is a very specific, narrow task. Uh, so an example of that is my Nest thermostat. That algorithm that drives my Nest thermostat 
can't do anything but change the temperature and manage that part of the house. Then you have another form of AI called artificial general intelligence. Now, this is the sci-fi futuristic kind of, this is what everyone thinks of when they hear AI. Artificial general intelligence is, there's only one form of general intelligence um, in the entire world, and that's humanity. We are a general level intelligence because even at 11 months, my youngest is able to learn and to grow and to apply skills across um, various issues or problems. So he might learn how to turn a doorknob or, or pick up a toy, but then he can take that same skill and apply it in another way. Um, same thing with knowledge. He can learn, you know, this is a red fire truck, but then you also have a red door and make those connections and correlations. Um, there isn't another form of general intelligence um, in creation. Now, there is a form of superintelligence. John Lennox um, out of the United Kingdom uh, has famously said there is a superintelligence, and his name is Jesus. Um, it's, a, it's a level of intelligence that transcends general or human intelligence. Um, and so when you get to this idea of singularity, the idea is that we're going to create, it's a, it's a progress. It's in many ways kind of fueled by an evolutionary materialistic worldview that says we're going to be able to create AI, continue to advancing, um, kind of Q and Moore's law that says every two years, computer speed doubles and the price drops in half. That idea of increasing exponential growth and complexity. So as that happens, at a certain point, we're going to re re reach human level intelligence or artificial general intelligence. That's on par with human beings kind of across the board. Right now, narrow can outperform us in a specific task, but not in general. Yeah. But once you get to that general level intelligence and the AI continues to grow in advance, you're going to reach the moment of singularity. The moment of singularity um, is been, has been popularized by uh, futurists such as Ray Kurzweil that works at Google, Nick Bostrom that wrote Superintelligence. Um, really, really famous kind of most influential book on superintelligence. But even going back to some of the early pioneers of AI, like Norbert Wiener, um, was writing about this moment, this event horizon, as it was described, I think, by uh, Norbert Wiener, to say you're going to have uh, this event horizon. Now, he, humans can't see past that horizon. We know that at a certain point, AI the worldview says that AI will catch up and, and it, at the moment of surpassing us is the moment of singularity. So the singularity happens once. Mm. After singularity is superintelligence, something we can't fathom or really understand. It's so much smarter, much more able than anything humanity's ever done. And then at that point, it's going to continue to rebuild itself and grow faster and smarter, outpace us and in many ways, in many arguments, is just leave us in the dust, leave us in the wake. Uh, humanity is going to be subpar. Uh, we're not the crowning jewel of creation anymore. And we're just going to be put to the waistband of history at the moment of, of singularity and past with superintelligence. So that term, this whole idea of singularity has been popularized um, in a lot of sci-fi. Um, that's where the robots wake up. Yeah. And they wake up and then they're like, oh, I'm smarter than you and I'm going to try to take over. Um, that you think of iRobot with Will Smith, yeah. the, where the, the one robot has already woken, already has kind of emotions 
and you start to see this kind of human level, past human level abilities of AI. That's the same moment of singularity and super intelligence. So, man, I I really, really was impressed with the way you yeah. uh, put that forward. I don't think yeah. that I've heard anyone state that as well in many of the TED Talks that I've watched. So uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate that. So let's kind of shift some gears here into this, but it's also very similar. And that's this idea of transhumanism. Yeah. Um, that's a term that I did not know about a month ago. But thank you, ERLC, for that email that told me you were going to drop this statement on artificial intelligence so I could begin to research it. I was wondering, I mean, a few months ago with all the transsexual stuff, I was going, oh, when are, when are we going to hit somebody saying I'm not a human? And I thought maybe that would be the definition of transhumanism. But now I've, I'm seeing, you know, what, what they're talking about there and just go, so this is how we get past our humanness. This is the transhuman. So... And- yeah. yeah, so what is transhumanism? And then tell us a little bit about how you negotiated that topic within the statement. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. So in the statement, we don't specifically address transhumanism, but we address a lot of the worldview and kind of understanding behind transhumanism. Yes. But simply put, transhumanism is this idea that we can transcend or um better ourselves and since we're going to transcend the natural limits of humanity and we're going to move past that um and we're going to be able to fundamentally um upgrade ourselves so it's not that i have bad eyesight so i wear glasses but it's actually my eyes are fine but what i want is the um i want the ability to have night vision so i take my eyeballs out and upgrade them so there's that kind of physical hardware application of upgrading ourselves, um, but then also even cognitively being yes. able to do that. So how I like to talk about transhumanism versus good use of artificial intelligence and technology and is the idea of restorative. So restoring what was lost. My dad last fall um, had a um, um, he had a prosthetic put on because he had to have his leg amputated. That's restorative medicine. So it's we, he has a prosthetic, even an advanced AI-empowered prosthetic, which he doesn't have because we don't have that much money. Um, but those do exist, These being able to control this leg through the mind. And that idea of some would say that's transhumanism. I don't. I say that's actually restorative use yeah. of technology because it's restoring what was lost, what I was like lost and broken by the fall. Yeah, and we're gonna have versus the, the idea of transcending is rising above yes. as if humanity is not good enough. Yeah. That's kind of my biggest, I don't want to say beef, but that's kind of my biggest frustration with a lot of transhumanism thought is this idea that humanity's it's okay and God did a good job, but we really can do better. And I don't think that that's a right view of God. I don't think that's a right view of ourselves. And I don't think that ultimately that's a right understanding of how to use technology as a tool that God has given us to aid us in, yeah, and as in our work we've gotta, and in our life. Yeah, we, as Christians, we've got to just make sure that we remember Adam and Eve were, are different than us. Um, bef- before the fall, things were good. Um, I, don't, I think things were satisfactory. There's a sufficiency in God's word. There was a sufficiency in the world. Um, Adam and Eve weren't necessarily looking for that until 
whatever happened with the serpent that got them to start questioning God's word and whatever. So then after the fall, we see it uh, condemned to destruction and corruption. And so we've got to, as Christians, we need to have that in our science. Um, yeah. The world's not going to see that. Yeah. Within the field of uh, kind of study of transhumanism, you have, um, you do have Christian transhumanists who uh, try to kind of bridge the gap between true transhumanism and the Christian gospel. Uh, you also have within the kind of transhumanism community those who uh, not only deny that you know fundamentally that we're created in the image of God that we need to upgrade, but in many ways it's not just upgrading ourselves to be better; it's upgrading ourselves to be God. Yeah. Uh, this is something that really um, is in the vein of a, a scholar, a Hebrew scholar and historian named Yuval Noah Harari, who wrote um, a really, really well done, well researched book immensely helpful to me in understanding a lot of these things and kind of the cultural attitudes called homo deus Hmm. and what homo deus is not homo sapiens, which is his history of humanity. Homo deus was the the history of tomorrow, this idea of upgrading ourselves to God, man. But as I go back to what uh, John Lennox was talking about was super intelligent. He also said this idea of homo deus, we already have a God man and his name is Jesus. Man. So this idea, if we're going to transcend our our humanity, that means we're transcending our Savior. Man. And I don't think that that is something that really aligns with the Christian gospel. Man. Yeah, because we don't need to transcend humanity. We need to be reconciled back to what humanity actually was. Jason, you have been so great with our yeah, time. I've got another little question here. If you have a minute, I don't want to abuse your time because we've talked to you for... Uh, uh, about 40 some odd minutes, but do you have time for just kind of one more little thought yeah. uh, before we mm-hmm. brain machine interface? That was a thought that I had never heard of. Uh, and I see that as kind of crossing the gap between AI and transhumanism and this concept of some of the, again, some of the secularist humanists that I hear talking about us uh, about this have this idea of us, uh, we'll be able to upload our mind into, uh, into, the, singular, into the singular thought of the, the machine that will be out there once we you know, bridge the gap of singularity. Does that make sense? Have you heard some of that kind mm-hmm. of talk? Yeah, you have some, as I mentioned earlier, uh, uh, scholars and researchers like Ray Kurzweil, he wrote a book, How to Create a Mind. Yeah, The idea of being able to not only create an artificial intelligence or a general intelligence um, and AGI, but also the idea of uploading ourselves, our mind, our consciousness. And the fundamental, mis- what I believe is a misunderstanding um, and what I believe Christianity would say is you are not a machine. That idea is really prevalent within kind of cultural at large, but specifically within the AI community. And that's not all because there are very faithful believers working in the AI community for good. But this this worldview that says you are nothing but an organic algorithm there. So you have you have uh, silicon based intelligence and then you have human intelligence and they're really the same thing. One's made out of carbon. One's made out of silicon. So that's the idea. So what you are is really just some advanced, evolved machine that has a mind of software and a body of hardware. And when your body, you know, when your um, 
hardware on your computer run or wears out, you can maybe you transfer that memory to a new computer when you upgrade your computer. So it's still really, it's kind of the same way. This similar computer, it's very the same, but you're just transcending its physical limitation. And so that one of the ideas with kind of not specifically about the human uh, machine interface, but that idea of trans, uh, transhumanism again is that idea that we can transcend the physical limitations of our body and upload our minds because what you really are your consciousness and your mind is, is, is your being. This body is just a vessel. Well, if, as this is an apologetics podcast, I mean, yeah. your listeners are very aware of, that's called Gnosticism. Yeah. This is not a new concept. This is something the church has addressed throughout her history, and I believe will continue to address. So when I think of AI and I think of a lot of the issues surrounding it, I like to say that AI isn't causing us to ask new questions. What it's doing is it's causing us to ask old questions in light of new opportunity. And so now we have the opportunity to maybe, well, we don't actually have the opportunity, but it's believed that we can upload our minds to a digital substrate and then just carry it on to new bodies and new machines and put us to put ourselves in a machine and live like that forever. Um, Personally, that doesn't sound like an existence I want because I want to be Revelation 21, mm-hmm. uh, standing around the throne, honoring God and worshiping right. him. I don't want to live forever uh, because I actually, you know, Paul says to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Death right. is not something that's that we should we should dread. In many ways, it's something we look forward to because we've fulfilled our purpose and how, what God has called us to do in life. And now we get to be with him in death. Mm-hmm. And, and in death, we live with him for eternity. So we don't see death as the great enemy in that sense obviously death is not natural death is something that was um, a result of the fall but through that there's a restoring that allows us to live with god forever in a physical body which is very different than what a lot of the church has believed over the years we are not going to be some spirit sitting on the clouds playing our harps and singing all day long as a spirit we're no we're going to be physical bodies in a real in a new heavens and new earth it's going to be similar to what we see now in my opinion and my belief and my understanding of scripture but without sin without death and brokenness and the effects of the fall and so then we will see what how humanity was truly meant to live because at the fall the image of god was not lost that's a, a belief that's been common within the churches. At the fall, the image of God was lost, and now we, at, the, at the new creation, that'll be restored. No, the image of God wasn't lost. It was broken. It was scarred. It was marred and maimed, but it wasn't completely lost. We still see gr- uh, the grace of God mm-hmm. in our everyday lives as we live as men and women, as husbands and uh, wives, as moms and dads, and as workers— we're living out that image right now, and we're already reflecting God, even though we do it imperfectly. Yeah, man, uh, Jason, I smiled as you were saying those great things. Thank uh, you. A biblically grounded view of humanity is key to what you all uh, have done, and being able to interpret it and understand it and move forward with it. And so, we greatly appreciate that. Uh, so thankful for what you all do at the ERLC. 
and we are grateful for your diligence. Um, because you have a great family to get back to, we yeah. will let you go. We could probably talk to you a lot longer, uh, but sir, thank you so, so much, and uh, I look forward, please, when your book comes out, uh, we would love to have you back yes. on. Um, we, for sure. I, I really enjoyed that. Well, I will be looking out for it. I, I really will. And you've got my email, and I know you'll probably be busy, but if you think about it as it gets ready to come out, let, let us know. We would love to have you on uh, to talk Fantastic. about it. So, brother, thank you so much, and we will let you go. All right. Well, thank you guys for having me today. Talk to you later. All right, man. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you. Dude, that, that was awesome. That, yeah, that, I, I think that's probably all we need to do. Yeah, that's all that we need to really, do. Really, really good. Uh, so watch, uh, tell your pe- friends that haven't watched uh, last week's episode, tell them to watch this one first. Yes. And then watch last week's. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah, I like that, was, that a lot. Yeah, that was an awesome um, opportunity that, uh, thank you, Dave, for doing all the legwork on that. And I'm glad oh, that they got back damn. to us so that we could have that opportunity to... Um, get to those basics, why the statement, why we shouldn't be reactionary but proactive. Um, and just to add, you know, if there's people that are like leadership in the church talking about this stuff um, from a person that's, you know, more of a congregational side of things, um, not in leadership in a local church, um, listen. And, uh, you know, it's, I think it may be a theme of today whenever we're dealing with um, the Nashville statement, when we're dealing with this statement. Um, when we're dealing with the social justice statement, even, um, you know, Luther said that he wouldn't preach justification by faith every week if we didn't forget it, right? So the net, we, we need to understand Imago Dei, the image of God. What does that mean? And we need to preach that to us every time. Because if you notice, every one of these, these those three statements that I talked about, image of God. What is the image of God? Who are you in reality that God had spoken into existence Truth corresponds to reality. Who are you? And it's because of who God is and who you are. This is how we are to act. So this is how we approach justice in the world. This is how we approach uh, sexuality. And now this is how we shall approach uh, when it comes to artificial intelligence. And uh, again, we don't have to be afraid, right? God has spoken and he's given us hope. So um, I hope that uh, these uh, few shows have been beneficial to you. Get a hold of the ERC Artificial intelligence statement, and we're not done with the topic just yet. <laughs> yeah, so we'll we'll continue to talk about um, these ideas. Thank you for the statement, ERLC. I'm sure um, these articles will come up as we talk about it. Um, we'll make it our confession for the uh, <laughs> for this type of a discussion. But anyway, that's awesome. But yeah, we've got. If you is there anything else you want to hit? We got ten minutes. Uh, let's dude. Let's leave it at this. Let's and leave that'll it give this, us right. yeah because that'll give us. With Travis, we'll have him, and we mm-hmm. can maybe get a little bit longer show in, yeah. and then hit some of the other things there. Okay, into that. How's that? All right, we'll like, do, that do that. Yeah. yeah, you just saw the tag your it podcast work in action. This is how <laughs> this is what we do before we even <laughs> yeah. hit live. But anyway, um, so yeah, next week just to let you guys know we have uh, Travis Ferenic. He is uh, one of the newest uh, M Band Network members, so he'll be on the show um, talking about false use of scripture, uh, which will be awesome um, and needed uh, for. Just, you know, the general public, we need to understand uh, false views of scripture and how to speak the gospel into falsity. This is what uh, uh, Paul preaches to Timothy. Uh, there will be wolves that will come. That's in. right. And so... Be- Peter promises yeah. that as well. Yeah. So, you know, people that are entrusted with the gospel live before the face of God and the wrath of God is coming. That is why we preach the gospel. Not because people are lost, 
that is not our main motivation. Our main motivation is the fact that we all live before the face of God and the wrath of God is coming. Therefore, we need to have this stuff. We need to know it. We need to hide it in our hearts because there is, there are wolves that are going to come in and they're going to pick off the weak ones. And what is the definition of a weak one there? One that does not know the scriptures or cares to. So uh, please repent if you haven't cared. It's okay. There's no condemnation in Jesus Christ, but start today um, getting theological. Sorry to have to use a big word. No, um, perfect. But that's, if we, we want to know who God is, we're being theological every time we learn something about God. So that's simply what that is. So uh, get into it and then be able to speak the truth and hope into people that are going to end up understanding that humanism is dead and they're going to have to make these leaps and bounds into artificial intelligence to live in a computer because this is failing um, and they don't know why um, because they have no hope. And then what is to say that there's even hope in this AI? We're just predicting it. It's on paper. But remember, things have been on paper before and failed. So if we're going to trust in the uniformity of nature... We should just only expect failure, right? <laughs> but, you know, whatever irrational position you need to take to justify yourself. But, you know, come to Christ, um, know who he is, and he can speak in on this. So I guess, yeah, we'll end the podcast. Man, um, I just so appreciate and getting to do this with you each week. Yeah. Uh, it's cool to do it every other week, every yeah. week instead of yes. every other week. So, yeah. And we'll have a series of every weeks for a while, yeah. and that'll be really cool. Yeah, so, so yeah, anyway, I guess all that being said, Travis is on the show of all screws yeah. scripture. No, no. And we'll hit uh, Nathan Stitt and Ijin, which will be kind right of on back this kind to of this. Stuff. Yeah. Um, so, uh, appreciate you guys. Uh, thank you for being a part of the Tag Your It ministry. Uh, we'll just call you our teammates because you listen, and I pray Share. that you are uh, witnessing and going out and uh, for the glory of God alone and speaking to your friends. That's right. So, but yeah. Share the podcast. Make sure you rate us on iTunes. Give us good feedback. Uh, and uh, pray for us, too, yes. because uh, this is a blessing for us to do, and we hope that it's a blessing to you. So, yeah. All good things, All man. All right. Well, I guess uh, that's the tag you're well, in. Real podcast. quick, real quick. What do we got? What do you so, got? I mean, I this know. had to be a really good poor part of a difficult day for you. Oh, this one was hard. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it right now because oh, I'm going to cry. Okay. <laughs> I've already cried at Jeff Durbin. Um, I don't know who else, where else I've <laughs> cried on this show. Anyway, I guess with that said, yeah, my uh, I had to put uh, my dog down, and I've been doing a lot of theological study. Um, you know, just uh, really just thinking about just going through Joshua. Um, and whenever they did not inquire the Lord, mm. um, they were hit with judgment or right. at least discipline. Um, and so this has definitely been a part of my life where I was just like, what do I do? Um, who are these animals? What are these animals? What, what meaning do they have? And so, you know, I got to consult the text to go, you know what? I have, God has given me dominion over creatures and, um, I have, because man screwed it up for Animals didn't sin, grass didn't sin, the sky didn't sin, we did, and God subjected that to corruption because of us. And so whenever I looked at that little dog um, suffering, I got to be merciful and uh, do what I needed to do um, for her. Um, and so it's been a tough day, but I'm thankful. But yeah, like, for just that. let me state, I'm getting yeah. completely off the script. Yeah. But like, because you were serious about caring for God's creation. Yeah. Because you have a transcendent truth in God's word 
the transcendent truth. You submitted to that and thought about who you are in nature to God's creation. And you could look rightly at God's creation, deal with your hardships, which are suffering, Mm -hmm. in order to understand how our impact, how sin impacts all of the world. But then also you can have hope in knowing that there's something better because of what Christ has done in in entering into creation to redeem yes. creation. Mm-hmm. And then you didn't have to go wishy-washy and look at, oh, well, let me just play this game with all dogs go to heaven kind of stuff. Yeah. But like a seriously difficult issue for yeah. people you didn't have to go wishy-washy on when it came to theology because you took serious your call to be a theologian mm-hmm. and a student of scripture. Yeah. And also then you were able to minister to your family as a result of it. Oh, yeah, that was... That's exactly why we do this podcast, yeah. by the way, but didn't uh, didn't plan on bringing it into the podcast, oh. but there you go, we did. Yeah. So now you can add Appreciate another little tagline to it. <laughs> Appreciate you, man. So, yeah. yeah. So. All right, brother. Well, now you can close us out. Now I can close out. Well, this is the Tag Your Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I am Dave. Soli. Damn. Gloria. Gloria.